I will tell you, Mr. Finley, in one word, but probably more, why we are very foolish. I'll start with this. Please. Uh, We have these uh, Patreon episodes, these sort of secret episodes available to those who subscribe at a mere $5 per month. I mean, my God, Tom, they have this opportunity to listen to extra Finley's episodes, oftentimes focusing on one movie, but not always, and access to the whole archive. And we did one recently on uh, 1947's Body and Soul, starring John Garfield. And we spent the (laughs) entire episode, the entire episode, calling it Heart and Soul. I don't know why. I started it off. I I went back and listened, and it's like I set that fucking domino rolling. But it's very foolish of us. Very, very foolish, Tommy. But I'll tell you, there's a foolishness that's going around. And it's those who are listening to the main page. And not subscribing for that small amount of money, especially during this time when you have, let's face it, nothing but podcast time on your hands, most of you. And I just want to run through, before we begin today's episode, with a list of Patreon episodes that we have. We have one on Susan Hayward. We have one on an adaptation of Yukio Mishima's short stories. We have Ida Lapino, Jane Russell, Billy Wilder, The Rat Pack. Is that possible? One on The Hustler. That's at a, we, we recorded that at a billiards parlor. Rod Steiger, or Steiger, if you're our friend Evan Faulkner. The uh, war documentaries of John Huston, American Graffiti, Harlan County, USA, Sterling Hayden, Lawrence of Arabia, stop me if you had too much, one on Rudyard Kipling, Robert Duvall, the Harry Northup companion, that's the one where we had extra sort of uh, audio footage from that interview with Harry Northup down in, down in Hollywood, we one on the Dirty Dozen, March of the Wooden Soldiers, the Groucho Marx vehicle, Copacabana, Executive Action, Judgment at Nuremberg, Key Largo, Tom, am I, am I wearing you out? Well, you should be, but there's more. Stop! <laughs> For one easy payment of uh, last year at Maryland, that was a torturous one, but my God, it was still a good episode. We have North <laughs> by Northwest. We have Carnal Knowledge. We have the Goat Horn, that Romanian weirdo movie. We have Salesman, <laughs> Seven Beauties, Singing in the Rain, The Cane Mutiny, the the 1980 uh, b- uh, comedy serial Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, the Undercard on the Bond series. If you were a fan of the recent main page. Uh, Finley's episode on Roger Moore versus Sean Connery. We have one for the other Bonds uh, pre-1980. We have one on Submarine Command, The Long Good Friday, and then, of course, not Heart and Soul, but Body and Soul. Man, I think that's an incomplete list, even. So I'm just imploring those of you who enjoy. And there seem to be a couple hundred of you and some new listeners I might note from Cambodia and and Iran. That one's kind of surprised me. (laughs) Maybe it's part of the, and this is why we hate America. I don't know. Sorry, Iran. But uh, I just wanted to to put that out there. We started a whole other jihad. Well, yeah. We we don't really promote the Patreon side very well. And the truth of the matter is we barely make enough off of that to do things like buy equipment when it breaks down. It's not a money-making venture. But we put our heart and soul, if not bodies and soul, into this. And it just seems like people ought to know that it's something that's worthwhile. In fact, that's the threat. Unless you start subscribing to Patreon, we're going to start putting our body and soul into it, not just our heart and soul. But anyway, on to today's episode, Tommy. Sorry for that little commercial, but it felt like it was necessary. Am I wrong? Okay. Come on. Sure. I like it. All right. Today we're talking about not just an actor, but 
as you know, a great human being. You know I love this man. Like, I don't know mm. why I love this man so much, but I love Mr. Alan Alda. I do, too. I do, too. And it's not like a straightforward thing for me. There's, a, there's kind of a... Uh, it's a little troubling at first because uh, Alan Alda back in the 70s was kind of like not... You know, not anybody's idea of sort of the real man, right? He was no. the sensitive male. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, coming uh, from my dad's uh, crash as I did. Finley number uh, one. That wasn't an appreciated concept in that household. <laughs> I fucking know. He was a man who definitely, definitely had eaten quiche at some point. Yeah. So, uh, so um, I, yeah, it was kind of a troubling, troubled, kind of a troubled history with him initially. But, yeah, I, I would have to say I've come to the, he's like Jimmy Carter in a sense. He's, like, he's, <laughs> a, he's like just, he's. He, I love him because he seems like a, just a genuinely sort of a decent kind of person at the end of the day. Yeah, um, I mean, he's still, I would say to this and day, probably most famous as an actor for um, the TV series MASH. Oh, for sure, yeah. Which my father was famous for saying, lasted three times as long as the actual Korean War. But, <laughs> right. but um, and look, I liked MASH, although I liked MASH at times. There were years you could like and years that were just blah, horrendous and modeling. Well, when it was on, I just loved it anyways. I just I watched it very fucking religiously. I didn't, there was no sort of downside to, downtime to me. And it didn't matter to me that, that it had sort of shifted its focus a little bit one way or the other over the years. I just ultimately ended up, I just kind of loved that show. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. It I loved that, it that, too. Yeah. And it, I, I saw a couple years ago. I, I was in a car accident. I had an injury, so I had cause to watch like the whole like ten seasons of Mash when I couldn't sleep at night. Like and, you, like door to door, like you watch the whole thing like in order. Episode that one to the last episode. Fucking, uh, that would be a really interesting uh, viewing. I got to be honest. It was it's a, a lot of years and a lot of time and a lot of sort of a shift. It was a show that should have been cut off. I think eventually because it just got <laughs> to be like the serious episodes, and they were run, running out of things to say. Um, but but I but I guess what I'm getting at is I well it also spawned in my opinion to this day I will say the number one television um, uh, comedy character and that's Frank Burns I fucking adore even above George Costanza I love Frank Mr. Burns Mr. Furley come on yeah definitely uh, yeah okay fair yeah. enough <clears throat> well you're a Furley guy I'm not I'm a Roper guy but Mr. Burns Jack that's perfect Don Knotts but. Um, but I guess what oh, I'm Mr. getting Burns is fucking great, yeah. But what I'm getting at is is that um, I have no problem if if you associate uh, Alan Alda with Mash, and you're like, nah, not my cup of tea. I totally get it. I totally right. get it. And and the other issue really is that um, I like Alan Alda at times as an actor, but I also find him kind of mm, not amazing as an actor. When that's not even bad acting. It's like Oof. his his particular yeah. choices. You know, he's yeah. got this. I think. One of the worst, um, just behind Steve McQueen in the Thomas Crown Affair, worst fake laughs of all time. <laughs> I mean, there are just a million things where I could sort of point out, but for some reason, I just am so comfortable and, and I find him so likable. And then it's, and even the second part is off screen. I just find him so interesting. You know, he's he's got this um, sort of like institute of like scientific inquiry that he just sort of uses, he, he levies his power to get. You know, people like I think I think he was early on with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I might I might be off on that okay. one, but but um, he's he's really interesting there. Um, oh, did you and do you remember this? He was great on Horace and Pete. The Louis yeah, that's thing. A, that was actually going to bring up the fact that I that's one of my one of my sort of regrets is I have yet to see that. It's it's probably his best acting job. 
Right. You get right. to see <laughs> Alan Alda say cunt a few times, and it's like kind of brilliant. <laughs> Oh, it's really, uh, like, he turned into, I think he, he kind of, like, sort of hit his stride as an actual actor, I think, at his best later on, like, sort of out of our time loop. Like, I think, like, The Aviator, he was really good in that. Like, that, I, was, that, was a, that, yep. was a, that was a role, like, that he did beautifully, and that was a kind of acting that I don't know, like, when he was young. Well, I guess we're going to have to get into that at some point. We'll, return, well, yeah, and I was going to say, even, like, a movie like Bridge of Spies, the Tom Hanks movie, which I did not think was a great movie, he sort of shined in it, or shone, if you will, in it. Shone. Shown to Sean, but um, he, I feel like he, he, you're right about that, and he probably it, it means he was best as a, as a co-star, as as a more minor role. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, because I remember I remember having this thought um, like way back in the day, like after Match had ended, yep. thinking like, wow, this is going to be like the fucking decade of all the like he was like the biggest thing in television. I I, I I was always a little puzzled that he never made the switch over into movies, like becoming a big movie star. I have to say our viewing for this show has yeah. told me why, and it's what you just said right there. He's oh. really a better co-star. He's kinda he's got a certain he's got a certain set of limitations to his acting at that point. Uh, he delivers a lot of things in his Groucho thing, regardless of this regardless of the actual setting. I mean, it's always one of those things when you watch an actor and wonder how much of that is uh, his acting choices, or is that the director hired him because they knew he could do that thing? He you know? well, I don't see. I don't know. I might. I might end up disagreeing with you about today's particular choices, and that might have been my bias in in, in choosing the th- the three films we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely, to me, is a compartmentalized actor, which is to say, he compartmentalizes. Yeah. Oh, here's his irritation mode. And I think he does that great. Like the eye roll, he's one of the great eye rollers of all time about, about yeah, yeah. something, he right? Yeah, he's like sarcastic and he does sarcastic, vulnerable. Like those are like, he does those two things superbly well. And I'm going to go like, I'm going to go on a limb and go, I think he's a really good actor, but I don't think he's a good star. He's yeah, that might be I it. I think that's the trick right there. That could be it. And, and of course, and that sort of fits oftentimes more for women than men, but, but still by the time you hit 60, it's like, you're no longer going to be a star. You're going to be a co-star if you're still in the game. And so, so for him, it was kind of a lucky turn that he had like mm-hmm. films and then mash still doing some films during mash, but they weren't really hitting, you know, I don't know. Sweet Liberty baby. Yeah. There were a few from, from pre 1980 that we could have chosen and, and they might be off your list. I mean, there's, there's, um, uh, the seduction of Joe Tynan, for instance, with Meryl Streep. I mean, that's a tough. That's, you're going to be easily outclassed. It's the same year she did uh, Kramer versus Kramer. But um, okay, so let's start. I, I want to start with um, with I think in some ways the most interesting because it has all this this other sort of backstory to it. Um, and that's go ahead. The Paper Lion. 1968's Paper Lion. Paper Lion, yeah. I was uh, okay. So uh, I mean, the backstory on it is he is uh, he's playing uh, George Plimpton, who was a sports writer for Sports Illustrated. I oddly enough, I didn't know that George Plimpton ever wrote for Sports Illustrated. I knew him from kind of the persona that he that that he was that I would credit him for. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, he plays uh, he plays George Plimpton trying out for the Detroit Lions in nineteen. I think originally it was nineteen sixty three or something like that. When it came time for the movie, they went with the current Detroit Lion team. Yeah. Uh, so so the cast of characters is a little different from that. But uh, I actually came away from it wanting to read the book. Like reading, yeah. That seemed like it seemed like there was so much that had to have like perforce had to have just been left out. That would have been really fascinating just to see his meditations on those things. So I kind of want to see now. I kind of want to read the book. 
Well, Plimpton's such an interesting character, too, because um, a lot of people, for instance, will know Plimpton as an actor because he did act in some films. He was in Reds, for instance, and right. he was um, he famously got sort of bested by Matt Damon in um, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill uh, Hunting, right. There's a few where he, it's like, oh, okay, that's that guy, right? And right. it's like that guy who's not, he's. Um, Heterosexually homosexual. It's hard to sort of put a twist on it. He's uh, yeah okay. But, yeah, he's got the. He's like the. He's, he's from the far effeminate end of the intellectual. I, I guess think. that's it. And yet, at the same time, what's interesting is you know he founded the Paris Review, which you know has um, great. It created nonfiction, fiction, poetry. It, it, uh, it's one of the great. It's one of the yeah. great small venues for short fiction. I, I would say that it's uh, um, sort of. Um, more academic, but on par with something like the New Yorker, let's say, or, or Harper's. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that aspect of him, but also somebody who um, wanted to and succeeded to some degree of having a, a Hemingway-esque sort of approach to things, right? So, like, the fact that he wrote for Sports Illustrated was, like, yeah, kind of a moneymaker to get his own magazine going. Um, mm-hmm. But also he was interested in, like, these, these really kind of silly, adventurous pieces that he would do and so it's like well on the one hand he's starting the paris review for all these sort of think pieces he himself is making a living with sports illustrated and other magazines doing things like and we can take turns talking about them but like boxing joe lewis right for instance which is insane yeah well yeah and 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 like not not dying i think it would be the highest level of that accomplishment he managed to pull off yeah he'll get in there not not that he wasn't in his own way sort of athletic which i think is kind of what shows in the movie yeah uh and it shows that anybody who could actually do the things that he did like just to say uh but like what the difference is between like an athletic person and like an athlete Uh, yeah for sure like serious fucking athletes so he would put himself in there or he would pitch a game for the cleveland indians i think it was and it's like which I don't know that Hemingway ever stepped into a ring with a bull, right? No, but he was like, you know, I'm going to go um, deep sea fishing off the, the coast of Havana, or I'm going to be an ambulance driver in World War One, or I'm going to hunt big game in, in Africa. And it's like he was into those things, but it was also like, you know, that's that. There's that Rilke um, saying like, in order to write three lines of poetry, one must live a full life, which is absolute garbage, of course. But the idea. <laughs> Is well, from, it takes a poet to write that line. I guess, me. right? But it, but the idea from a Hemingway point of view or a Plimpton point of view or a, maybe even a Studs Terkel in some sort of you know back-ended way is like I, I need to sort of get down there and be in the coal mine to write any story about coal miners and their lives, right? An Orwell point of view, too. Kind of thing. Yeah, 100% yeah. Orwell. So, so uh, what I like about this movie is it's hard to fail when you have Plimpton. And, and and this sort of story of him trying out for the Detroit Lions in in yeah. the background, and I like the one of the ways before we get into Alda, the Alda, the way they handle it is um, to tell the truth about how the truth was blown. It's not like right. he's going to stay undercover. And it's like there's no way he could stay undercover for more than like 24 <laughs> well, hours. I can just imagine like actually George Plimpton in like the Lions locker room the moment he opened his mouth, like oh, cool. the gay friend, the, the they, gay friend who like he's saying, you know. <laughs> There's, and, no, there's no way you didn't know. And they're doing that in the film. They're clearly sort of mocking, you know, Aldous, Aldous is sort of like thin, you know, wispy, writerly type. He's kind of perfectly cast in a way. He did a good job of Plimpton without... Yeah, he actually looked good. He looked a decent amount like the George Plimpton of that time period. And he, yeah, so that he, was a good call. He threw a, just a tiny bit of Plimpton's accent in there without overdoing it, yeah. going, going over the top, which is something we'll, we'll talk about in the next film, I think. 
But um, so it's like I, I found the premise believable because it, it sets up one of the issues for the film, which is that um, yeah, it's one thing to fucking get in and box Joe Lewis or a kangaroo or or even to sort of be on a team where you're pitching, you know, midseason for the Cleveland Indians. This is like your everyone's body is on the fucking line and their careers. And thank you, George, for coming in because it's a lark to write about it. And it's like I like the way <laughs> this that this must be fun for you. But this is uh, this is uh, this is we've earned we've we paid a lot of dues to earn this particular job. Well, I like the way that the film and I, and I'm I'm guessing Plimpton it ha, it is has his ego in check enough to sort of expose the fact that he got shown like he got his ass shown like fuck you. And it's like oh okay now it makes mm-hmm. it kind of a more interesting and honest film rather than like a Disney film where it's like fish out of water, right. And I like yeah, that. Also, I also like where they edited out the mule that kicked the field goals in this movie. <laughs> oh, Gus, you're talking about Gus, the field cooking Ah, mule? the greatest bad movie of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it, it easily could have been all of those sort of like the, the, the computer war tennis shoes. Yeah, it could have been up to your ass and cliches in this thing, right? But it wasn't. And, and, and even when you thought there were cliches, I'm getting ahead of myself, which is like, Wow, he actually throws the the during practice the great touchdown and makes his way through because I was about to roll my eyes. I hadn't seen this film in two decades. Right. And I'm like, oh, give me a break. You realize, oh, yeah, they're fucking with him. And it's like, yes, perfect. <laughs> you know, of course they're fucking with him. Of course, yeah, because they have nothing else. I mean, it, it's one of the it's also kind of interesting because it did a really good job of sort of showing like the life of those guys that was i thought that was kind of fascinating well i wanted to ask you about that because you played football and i can guess at its accuracy but you can tell us about its accuracy well well, i mean i played high school football so like from that level like at the you know at the at the purely physical level like all the stretches they did all the exercises they were doing all that stuff was pretty much dead on what about the community it's really fascinating that they had so many rules like if you're this then we find you this and if you're this and and they didn't pay these guys that much back then right so it's really interesting how sort of like you know caged hens they were at that you know like in the the 60s and 70s uh nfl was a very different beast than what we have now there were there, there were like no millionaires that well that's point. probably why alec alec Karras alex Karras broke out of that cage and did webster later on <laughs> it was fucking hilarious to see a baby alex Karras. he I, was like such a kid oh god he was so awful in webster and that wife and, and webster himself so awful so yeah, it was nice I to see him yeah. as a likable mongo in uh, blazing sandals i didn't know that was him uh, no, but now that you're telling me, I completely see it. I, it's, I'm picturing it. Yeah, of course he was Mongo. Of course he was. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have. I mean, it is difficult. I think to get. Um, we've seen mostly terrible attempts at getting athletes to play small roles in movies about their sport. They're usually terrible, and these guys were just kind of relaxed. It's almost like the premise was so interesting and relaxing to them that they just. Even Vince Lombardi. Was was decent <laughs> as an actor in it, <laughs> but it was also cool, kind of cool too. And, and and like you know, again, you, you could see like documentaries on what it's like to be in the NFL. This is that yeah. weird quality of sort of having a documentary feel to it. Like I said, you really kind of got to see into the uh, yeah. into the locker room and how they actually live their lives and the, the and the shit they talk to each other and and how nice they are to each other. Like all the things they do to encourage and fuck with each other and just sort of li- and it's like and I and I imagine after having a, a camera pointed in that environment for any length of time you can see like you just said they just kind of relaxed into it and i think you got a really interesting picture there yeah so i'm not entirely dishonest uh, yeah and i think aldo did a good job because he's playing someone who who in real life who did a good job doing the original thing george plimpton 
Um, so I believed him in those those sort of bookended sections where it's it's Plimpton as as the New Yorker, you know, uh, listening to Bach and and deciding what poem to put in the Paris Review, and I believed yeah. him as as this sort of like um, cultural um, pioneer, if you will, going out to be part of this team, and I believed mm-hmm. them calling him out, and I don't know why they did this, but the real story is that Plimpton lost them thirty when when. I mean, just to sort of a little spoiler alert, they finally put the character Plimpton in a game where the stakes are not super high yeah. in, in St. Louis. And the, the real story is that Plimpton lost them 35 yards, but for just for extra insult, they made Alan Alda lose them 41 yards <laughs> in the film for no particular purpose. I'm sure it was just a little fuck you to Plimpton or a little little roasting or something. Right, um, right, right. But that, I found those scenes. There were times where a 1968 film about George Plimpton trying out for the the <laughs> Detroit Lions had me on the edge of my seat, and yeah. and I was embarrassed and laughing out loud at some of those plays in that game. <laughs> and I think Alda. That's that's another thing Alda does is he's he did this on Mash a lot. Alda would would um, be the kind of like not quite alpha, but alpha in his situation. He would use his humor as the alpha. He would put Frank right, Burns right, in his right. place and everything else. But but every once in a while on that show, one of the things I liked about it too, similar to Paper Lion is, um, he would get called out and, and oh, okay, all right, everyone, get off my case. I'm trying the best I can. And it was like, yeah, good. That The kind of vulnerability, not the key sheeting vulnerability, but the kind we all have where we fucking drop the tool inside the engine and, and look at everyone and go, well, I guess we're going to have to take this engine apart, huh, guys? <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I thought it I thought was. It was a good I thought film. it was pretty. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought it was. A, it was a divert. It was a diverting film. It definitely worth checking out. Certainly, like I said, like the football elements of it, I found very fascinating. The George Clinton concept, I found fascinating, and Alan Alda did a good job of pulling it off. I started thinking about I mean, you. He's not the greatest actor. That's that, that's his one thing. Is he doesn't sort of he doesn't command the screen in any way. But he's very, but he's very competent. He he's very, very likable, and because he's compartmentalized, I can well see somebody saying, "All right, I'm going to give you 15 minutes of screen time in this this major film, and I'd like you to do that uncomfortable thing you do, or that like <laughs> eye rolling thing you do." And it's like he's he's sort of a you know Christopher Walken, if you will. Well, it's a, you know, I think likable is one way, but I think lovable is actually the word. I, I think, think he's adorable. Got this, he's got this. You just kind of want to put a sweater on him and hold him. Whenever he's feeling down, Argyle, it's just of course. Of, well, yeah, naturally. I'm just trying to think. The only other actor I could think who kind of did that on a regular basis, like star actor, would have been like Jack Lemon, but he had something else kind of. But Jack Lemon, I would say, had the same thing. Jack Lemon had, was a compartmental actor. He was just more successful at it and, and better, a better actor. But he he did the you know the isn't a terrific. You know, he would have his little things that he did. And I would say that that Alda had it too, and and um, that being the case, yeah, I would say like even Jack Lemon again, who I would sort of equate to him, like they work best in an ensemble situation. Oh yeah, good call. Just to be able to say the word ensemble. Like ensemble. <laughs> Um, also there's a, there's a follow-up to this Plimpton. And this, this was kind of one of those, like, come on, quit while you're ahead, George Plimpton, um, with the success of his book article, then book, um, then the film in the mid seventies, um, took up, uh, an offer from fuck. I'm forgetting who it was. Oh, the Colts. Um, the Colts, he did a, a video journal aspect. So he, he did an hour long special of him playing for the Colts against the Detroit Lions in a game after a month of football camp. But it's sort of like, uh-huh. yeah, George, you already did this. Everyone, of course, knows who you are ahead of time. 
Um, it was not, but it, it just sort of like if anyone thinks, oh, this is a bullshit story. YouTube, the, the 1976 Plimpton Place for the Cults thing, just to sort of clarify that this is all a very real event really? that, that, that's dramatized in Paper Lion, which I would consider a, not a, I wouldn't say great, but I'd definitely put it in the three out of four stars category, an enjoyable film. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over 50%, so three stars for sure. Yeah. Now, okay. to move on to an even better film. I want to know know if they wrote the movie and then came up with the name and they wrote wrote in the joke and then they came up with the name or if they came up with the name and then wrote a movie around it. I got to tell you, Tommy. The name of the movie is? It's 1973's Isn't It Shocking? And I have to tell you, it's a TV movie, first of all. I have to tell you, this was, for at least a year when I was a kid, my favorite movie of all time. First of all, I already loved Alan Alda. Sure. Um, I didn't know all the actors, but th- let's consider talk about an ensemble cast. We have Edmund O'Brien, Edmund fucking O'Brien, <laughs> yes, in his sure. TV Ruth movie. Gordon. Ruth the Gordon. We cannot get away from our. We t- can't our get away show. from Ruth Gordon. Um, Will Gear, mm-hmm. uh, Louise Lasser. I'm yeah. sure I'm leaving people out, but now, okay. I actually now here's the thing. I expected to come back to this movie, watching it for this episode, and think, oh my god, it's a flame piece of garbage. I actually still like it. It's clearly it's, not my favorite movie still, but I still like it. It's cute. It's adorable. It's not a good movie. It's digestible. It's cute. I'm going to put it and two if, and a half and out if of I four. were a kid watching this, I would totally get that, yeah. Because they, well, wait, because wait, wait, wait. If you were a Finley kid, no real kid would, would love this movie, but if you were well, one of us at nine years old... I, I, I could argue that point and say they're the not real kids, mm. but uh, oh, well taken, that. well taken. Uh, but uh, but I have no problem seeing that. I mean, like the, the, their jokes are very clearly jokes. It's yep. It's like I guess I, I, that's the other question I had about Alda is every movie he was in was it a drama or was it a comedy drama? Oh. <laughs> because the moment he stepped in, it became comedic. Yeah, just because that's where his that's where his specialty was. No matter how serious he is, no matter how serious he is, it's still funny around him sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he's he's kind of interesting because he he goes he plays straight as well. He plays the straight <laughs> plays the straight guy as well as the uh, as well as the wisecracker very well, and he takes the joke as well as anybody on the set. One so, of the best uh, heads of hair in in all of Hollywood, I would say, still. Yeah, yeah, pretty magnificent. Let's be honest. Um, so he plays. I, the... I think this this movie is this TV movie, and it's very much a TV movie. Oh it's, yeah, I think it's, it's an hour and fifteen minutes long too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so there's a couple of things. The research keeps saying um, uh, it takes place in Southern Oregon. It does. It does not take place in Southern Oregon. It was filmed in Southern Oregon, and and because I kept thinking like, where is that awful New England accent he's he has coming from? And some other characters are trying a little New England accent on too. If this is Oregon, it makes no sense to me. And at one point in the movie, he says, "Yeah, she lives she lives right over the state line in Vermont." So it's like, oh, they're either in northern Massachusetts or, uh, I guess, western New Hampshire. That's, That's what weird it, because, like, the police car says Oregon, like, on the side of the car. They're supposed to be in does Oregon, Does it really? Right? Oh, I thought, so. I thought I had cracked open, like, a mistake, like a, like a backwards, yeah, like an upside might, down. You might nevertheless have, yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, that's, by the way, like, it speaks of the quality of the film that they may have while filming it have been setting it in New Hampshire and then <laughs> released it as a <laughs> New Hampshire said, no, you can't use our name. And live free and go, live free and go fuck yourself. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. Sorry. So he's he's the sheriff in this small town. He's he's take he's seeing a woman in the other the like the neighboring town who owns a, a motel. He's thinking about taking up the 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 um which is a, a slightly bigger town. He's thinking about taking up the the sheriffhood in that town. Um, he has this great, I think, I think she was still married to Woody Allen at the time. Luis Lasser as the secretary before Mary Hartman, mm-hmm. Mary Hartman. Um, sassy, as sassy as you please. The great sort of like, um, uh, deputy who's like the old time deputy who just, he's seen it all 40 years of listening to that. Pepperidge Farm, remember? <laughs> he might have been the Pepperidge Farm guy, for all I know. I, I recognize that face somewhere. But, but, mm. but the premise really is that somebody... And that spoiler alert is Edmund O'Brien is killing all the old folks in town and he's killing them by shocking them. But in such a yes. way with Vic's vaporizer rub as a conductor that no one is sure that they're not just having heart attacks. Isn't it shocking, my friend? It's the, it's the, like I said, I was wondering if they, where the fuck they got that, if they started with the name or they, and I came in with that later on. You know what? Let's, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call it A. Isn't it shocking? It's, it's very. Yeah, he's using like what? What do they call those things? The, uh, the paddles? The paddles, you, uh, yeah. Like that you use. Yeah. Uh, those, his look strangely Victorian and Rube Goldberg ask. It looks like candlesticks. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He, it, 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 it's, um, it, it's very much of a Quincy quality, by the way. But it's sort of like, wait a minute, Sam, they all have something in common. Um, Let's pull out a 1927 yearbook someone happens to have handy and see if we can can connect the dots between these old geezers being, you know, dying at the same time. Right, right. And and let's overlook the fact that, by the way, that the, 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 the instrument he's using to do this apparently has to be plugged into a wall. Oh, yeah. It's a giant fucking box and he's got the two little paddles yep. and he manages to like kill somebody in a cafe at one point. Like, how the fuck that Because they're happens? old, man. They're Anybody's old, obviously. And he, but the biggest tip off I find, I find hilarious, the clue that all the, sort of tips all the off is that um, all these old people aren't wearing clothes to bed. They don't, they right. don't sleep on the exactly. buff, do they? Yeah, well, in a new in a New Hampshire, any time of year, old people were, uh, you know, you might say that, to bed. You might say the the state motto was "Live free or fry." Yes, one might say that, Joseph. <laughs> yes, one might indeed do those words, put those together. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's really it's just a sort of like him figuring it out. There's, I think, by the way, I'm gonna say this. You got to give credit to that cornfield car chase. That was sure. a sweet car chase. Yeah. Edmund O'Brien's exit somehow from that scene is still a mystery to me. I'm not sure how. <laughs> but it, it, I, I, it was one of those movies. As I was watching, I was like, "Oh fuck, poor Edmund O'Brien needs to pay some alimony or something." Ah, <laughs> he might have not been his having best, fun. Not his, not his best role. Alan age. Alda. He said, "Sure, I'd love to be in this movie with that Mr. Alan Alda." It's got. I mean, it's very much of the quality and enjoyability. I would say, like a Hardy Boys book. It's silly. It's mm. the, too coincidental. Uh, I, like, I like Encyclopedia Brown, but okay. I would say even if, if we list like the Ruth Gordon that we know, um, and that's anywhere from Harold and Maude, Rosemary's Baby, she again plays a kook here, a less believable kook and one of her lesser roles, I would say. But, yeah, yeah, it was a little, she is a little hard on this one, but yeah. like, the whole idea is this guy's going around and killing his classmates from the class of 1928. And, well, but also because at the time he was institutionalized and made to feel like a, like a real goofball. 
to use 1928 <laughs> terminology. Like a, like a real flat pair of heels. You know? So he's going to come back, What? however long that is, 45 years later, I guess, between 28, is my math right there, in 1973. And, 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 and wreak his Nikola Tesla-esque vengeance upon that. You know, one of the things I found hilarious about this movie, but it, it's just a truism, I, I think... We're living longer as time goes on, and we're we're looking better as we live longer because when they said, how old are these people? 60, 63 or something. I was like, what? <laughs> they all look like they're 90. What are you talking about? Yeah, that might just have something to do with, like, also, like, the, the, the average looks of Hollywood have gone up significantly since then, too. It could be. I don't know. <laughs> but could be that as much as anything else. I, I, uh, uh, look, I, I think. But we, of course, go ahead. Please, please. No, and I like, of course, it was like, you know, like a 70s movie, uh, so they had to, like, throw in, like, the obligatory sort of, like, divorcee uh, politics going on. I thought that was kind of, that was interesting and sort of, I don't know about unnecessary, but it was just kind of odd that they tried to slid that in there. It didn't make much difference or sense of the film. It just gave Alan all a chance to sort of, like, show us underbelly a bit, because this woman he's dating every time, he'd say, let's go out to dinner, and she'd say, I'll bring the kids Grimace. Yeah. Okay. So go and at the end he tells her to go to hell and he goes with a hottie from the office. Louise Lazar. Yeah. Okay, so would we agree that Paper Lion is a, a good movie, like a solid seven or eight even maybe? And that in comparison, um, isn't it shocking is a, a nice five. Yeah, definitely, definitely no, yeah. It's comfortable. Not, nothing to, I mean, I don't think there's anything to hate about it or dislike yeah. about it. Yeah. But if somebody did, like, for, for whatever reason, it didn't meet their standards of moviedom, I'd be like, nah, okay, sure. But would I recommend it? Maybe not, but I wouldn't. Un- I, I, would I wouldn't unrecommend it. Well, that's a good movie. Watch that. You know, Having like heard that, it recommended, I wouldn't it's hasten to unrecommend it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's uh, Okay, so now we turn to uh, the third, the Aldi. This is the one, like you know, like this is the movie movie. This is the one that I that I I knew of, and so it's um, fucking same time, same time next year next from nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, it's absolutely. got a real Neil Simony quality about it. Yeah, well, it was a play. I mean, it started off oh, as yeah. a play, and it and they they put in some outside shots just here and there yeah. throughout it, but it never lost that 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 essential quality of just being a very playy play with with a very small list of actual like just basically the two actors. Right? Much like I and would in say, in this case, he's playing across from the maybe my favorite, one of my favorite actors from the seventies, Alan yeah. Burstyn. Alan Burstyn, of of course. Um, Alice doesn't live here anymore. The Exorcist, and then of course later on, much to our chagrin slash, slash love, Requiem for a Dream. Um, yeah, I mean she's always kind of great, whether the movie is good or bad. And, and interestingly enough, I think this is uh, in some ways a great movie, and in some ways a bad movie. It, it's yeah, a real mixed yeah. bag. It has a, I think it has potential for greatness, but. It kind of it, the sort of the nature of what the movie is and what the play was kind of sort of mitigates against that in a little bit. It's way. a victim of its time. And it, one of the yeah. key things, we did this, I noted this with Long Good Friday in a different way, and that was a Patreon episode. You're missing people if you're not on a Patreon subscriber. Um, that I, I think the 70s and 80s like just got caught up and how badly bad music can put a timestamp on something. Like we did the when we did the um, when we did the serial right. With what happened? Yeah. <laughs> when we did serial, um, it has a, a a bad soundtrack. You know, it's a crazy world or something. But it's like okay, 
it's okay because it's just sort of like satirical one offer there. It's no big deal. But the thing is, if you're making a movie about the, this period, like from the like I guess late 1950s and into the current time, the late like a 20 year span, and it's yeah. it's kind of comedic, but it's also serious and it's a romance, and you're supposed to be invested. Having like current awful 1970s music is a downer, man. It just feels totally out of place. Well, yeah, it's a movie I where you have to be. About that song in particular. First off, didn't it win the Oscar for like best song oh, or something just, like that? We were in bad shape musically <laughs> in a <laughs> lot were, of ways back but, then. But uh, no, it, it was it, it was one of those like God, it's such a such a child of the seventies. And I had to watch this because uh, I had to watch this on the big screen. So like my roommates are like, "Were you like was that a musical?" You know, uh, were they watching? Like, were your music uh, roommates watching it with you, or just overhearing it? No, just overhearing it. So it was, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it was bad. Yeah, it just watch, again, as you pointed out, it just dates the movie hard. In a bad way. And it's like, and I remember, I remember this song and I remember liking it when I was a kid, but that was because I was a kid and that's the kind of music that was fucking everywhere. Well, think about, at that time. think about when we did the movie Breezy a few episodes back, right? right. When the, in the May, December romance thing. Um, Morning is a friend of mine is, if I take myself out of it, it's not great music. Morning is a friend. But it's also not a movie that can be ruined by a bad song because it's just sort of mediocre already. This movie has all the potential to be great. And it, all it takes is a few sort of bad artistic moves to make a movie that's good not so good. Because yeah. you can see it as a play, and there are movies that you can like, oh, I almost feel like I am watching a play that just happens to be filmed. And it's mm-hmm. like suspension of disbelief. And especially since the concept is such a cool one, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the concept definitely. But but at the same time, you again, like this is one of those situations where they might have done the, the director might have done really well to step away from the play just a little bit, right? Because this thing is taking place over the course of that twenty year, that twenty five, no twenty six, I think twenty six year period or something yeah. like that. Like there's these like these moments where like they are representing what's happening at that time. But like Ellen Burstyn as a hippie chick was a little hard to a little hard to swallow. And they like do- that's just like ah oh, come on that's a little bit that's cheesy. And then Alan Alda with his ash beads and the whole nine yards a little bit later on. <laughs> his terrible like, mustache. Oh, fuck. All right, I know you guess you had to do that, but did you have to do that? Well, and know? they also do lazier moves, which is like time has passed. So here are some film clips from sixty minutes to demonstrate that that we're now passing from nineteen seventy. <laughs> Well, yeah, like some of them were like horribly out of order, like that whole JFK thing, yeah. like the assassination and then the inauguration. Like, what the fuck? Are you well, that's doing the thing. Here? It's like they they're trying to scaffold something that's just it, as a subtlety, and I guess that's the problem is that as a subtle idea and and interplay between two actors on a stage or a minimalist film project, it's great. And and of course the storyline is there's an in. I think it's in Monterey. I want to say. Uh, Santa Barbara, I think. Oh, okay. It's a California coast, right? A little cottage, a a cottage hotel. And um, Alan Alda is out on the West Coast from New Jersey. Um, he does. He has this kind of ridiculous subplot line where he does taxes for for his first sort of like client every year. He flies out as a sort whatever. Okay, I'll take it. He gets out there. He meets her, and and they have an affair. And it's like they're they're each married, and they decide, yeah. First of all, this isn't a, an affair out of like um, we're unhappy with our marriages. We love our partners. Right. It's just like I I'm finding something with this person I that it isn't quite there. That spark. No, no one can give you everything. Spark. There's a spark, right? Yeah, and 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 also recognition that no one can give you everything. And then, oh, what happens if you find someone who is giving you something? So they just agree in this very like 
amazingly mature sort of move. We'll have a one one weekend a year sort of affair or something. And it's like, okay, I like the concept. I like how it gets to play out. I like how they get to come back and sort of see what baggage they've brought with them. Yeah. Um, so it's not just this exciting, like, we're going to sleep together once a year. It's like, oh, you know, and, and what does it mean when I'm talking about my wife or my husband coming back to this thing? Because we're such good friends once a year on top of it that I'm going to talk about my wife. I'm going to talk well, about my husband. It actually Hold on, becomes let me just, like I, a tool. It's like how they – it's like almost their foreplay after a while. It's just, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in like – because it could sound a little twisted. But like they're bringing their, their, their spouses into their relationship and them talking about it is like part of the part of the uh, the actual process. That's, but it, that's it, They get to know each other and appreciate each other without <laughs> all this other baggage, without all this heat. But in a way – that's part of it. Without saying it overtly anyway in the beginning, what it does is it also brings up what does it mean to be um, uh, to have infidelity, which is to say it's not just the sleeping around. What if you talk too much about your part? You know, should you be talking about them at all? And yeah. and so I want to stop here and just say this. As much as I like Alan Alda, and I think this is a movie I would recommend. I'd even say it's right. a good movie. And I'll talk mm-hmm. about why or let you talk about why. I would stop and say if you're in if you're into this idea, there's actually one that's better, and it's outside the oh, Finley scope. Oh, uh, Lawrence Olivier and Jackie Gleason and Mr. Halpert and yep. Mr. Johnson. It's a 1983 kind of like a, a teleplay um, by HBO, and it's yeah, a similar it idea that that Lawrence Olivier's wife dies and, and finds out in a meeting with Jackie Gleason, I think in London, that Jackie Gleason has had not a sexual affair, but um, Kind of the same time next year, but like um, a, a friendship, and it yeah. infuriates a deep, deep friendship with his wife, Lawrence Olivier. That. that that she he never knew about it. And by the yeah. way, that what's great about that movie is Lawrence Olivier in his anger gets to say, "Oh, you thought she was so great, huh? Let me reveal the other three hundred and sixty-four days of the year <laughs> you didn't know about, fuckface." So yeah. it's actually a more interesting film, and it's like an hour long. Um, well, I shouldn't say more interesting. I just say it, it doesn't fall into Better. the traps that this one does. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have it doesn't have like the stylistic uh, things that that it doesn't have the conceits that this movie has to do, which is again every fucking year. So the passage of time is becomes part of it. And I think it probably doesn't hurt that like the seventies was a lot of things, but it wasn't a, it wasn't really a nostalgic era until. I guess I guess they did nostalgia, but it wasn't really. I don't know. They just weren't very good at it. I don't think. Because what do they have to look back on? The '60s, you know? Yeah, those losers. Yeah, those bums. Um, I think it's not a bad point. I just didn't think I made it well. I uh, know it, it actually was a good point. Well, because in the '60s there was a lot. Of, it was the first one where you were kind of like, as a culture, rejecting what came before you and saying, "Look, yeah. look, look at what you've brought us to." I don't think that was necessarily happening before. There was an inherent mm-hmm. respect. So, like, there was a, a demarcation point for nostalgia. I agree with you. Well put, sir. Thank you. Thanks for saving that. I, you know, I do what I can, Tommy. I do. Yeah, what I can. Can. And, and I have to say this: this is definitely a case where I think Ellen Burstyn. I would say she was. I mean, she kind of carried it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think she was. A, she was a quieter sort of a character, but like, she was like the core yeah, as far as the acting goes. And again, I think Ellen Alda. Again, he's an he's an ensemble actor. Put him in that situation, and I think he's very strong. He is strong, and also he another I think thing he allows himself to do as an actor is he allows his characters again, just like the Plimpton movie, he gets called out. You know when he when he comes from his like seventies est, it's time for honesty, man. I'm I'm all about honesty now. It's like he quickly gets his ass handed to him, and it's a hilarious moment. Um, so I think that his his humility, I, I assume as a person, 
because um, he's so wonderful. But at least as an actor, his characters, I think, is, is kind of the, more of an appeal probably than the acting itself. Yeah, fair enough. I'll fair tell enough. you. I, I, that being said, I thought I, it's an enjoyable movie. I'd recommend it for sure. And just as a concept, too, because it will get you talking with friends yeah. or about like, what does this mean? You know, what is it? What's, what is this all? What's the web we have here? Yeah. Because it's one of those things where like our, you know, I guess our, our cultural mythology is that once you're married, that's your other 50% right there. And this right. is a movie that's saying that that's not the case that maybe there's, maybe there's another 5% that's somewhere else with somebody else. Although it's not exactly saying it's not, it's not not exactly saying it's not the case either. Right, I like right, the fact right, that it right. doesn't come in it's, with a particular judgment on it. It just sort of lays something out of the table and says, let's explore it. Right, and it could have been easy. I mean, it could. I mean, they could have made it easy, and it could have been like these two just know each other's G spots, and like in some weird fucking way, and it's all just the sex. But it but it, it becomes not just about that very quickly. That would be very and unbelievable. It becomes about that sort of like maturing each other up. Maturing each other up. I like your phraseology. Just boning them up and getting them mature too. You know, a lot of people would consider what they did to be cheating and i'm not here to say it was or it wasn't but i will tell you this you are not cheating on the main page of finley's on film if you decide to become a patreon subscriber and hit those 40 plus episodes that we have as patreon five dollars a month i mean come on people yeah it's fucking it's, it's like you're making money people yeah it's like you're making money it is <laughs> yeah it's like it's like good call where would one find our uh, patreon episodes and, and become a subscriber and thereby support the arts and get those wonderful episodes oh well one could definitely find them on finley's on film.com go check it out there and uh, or you can just go oh, to yeah. patreon and find us at finley's on film there as uh, well. it's some combination of finley's on film and patreon or you're right at our website finley's on film.com there's a patreon link my god mm -hmm. people five dollars a month i mean you're, what's, come on what's wrong with you yeah exactly Made happen. yeah it, you need another microphone. Isn't it shocking? Anyways. Isn't it shocking that they're not Patreon subscribers? Yes. Yes, Tom, it is. It is. Oh, 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 stop shocking me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> Do they want to become Patreon subscribers? If they say no, they're lying. Not paper lions, but they're lying, Tommy. <laughs> and not the restaurant either. Hey. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love you, Tommy. You have a website? I do, tomsmithcomedy.com, www.inferred. Wonderful. Check it out, kiddo. It is inferred. Wonderful. And also, if you want to give us a comment, for instance, explaining exactly why you're not a Patreon subscriber or whatever. What exactly went wrong with your in your soul? That you are not a Patreon subscriber, you can email us at finleysonfilm at gmail.com. If you want to rate and review us through iTunes, you have that capacity. That would be wonderful. It always helps us out. Tommy, I love you, buddy. Love you, babe. All right. Take talk. care. Bye.